We all have heard the cry of outrage when hypocrisy is exposed. Business, politics, family matters, religion, it really doesn't matter in what sector it's revealed. Hypocrisy drives most of us crazy. Welcome to Through the Bible. Our study today in 1 Corinthians strikes at the core of unchecked hypocrisy. Our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, holds no punches when he addresses the scandal of churches that refuse to deal with sin. Why is it especially scandalous? Because when they compromise and cover it up, the consequences is that the church loses its power. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and get ready to learn about the Apostle Paul's very courageous and sharp rebuke to a church that allowed open sin to continue unhindered. Now, before we begin, let's check for just a minute with our global partners. Now, all of you know that in the last several years, huge advances in digital technology have allowed the Word of God to travel into unreached areas of the world through various delivery systems, like in South Asia, where through the Bible is heard on speaker boxes and SD cards. This has birthed many small home listening groups. Just picture how these speaker boxes are being used by people in villages that dot the countryside, inviting isolated people to hear the gospel, many for the first time. Here's a Through the Bible listener in Vietnam who has a heart to take the gospel to these undeveloped areas. He says, God has done such a good thing for me and for solitary churches that can only be reached by means of difficult roads and where electricity is highly unreliable. In these remote places, sometimes each house is at least two miles apart from the next one. God has put me here to plant churches in this sparsely populated place. I came to faith in 1989. Since then, I have God as my first priority and the compass for my personal life as well as my family. Since April 2008, I started sharing my testimony with people and planting home churches for church development. Though the process was still slow, our brothers and sisters now can confirm their faith thanks to the Word of God that they began to hear via your teaching. There are families who turned away from divorce threats to a happy reunion or from idol worship back to God the Creator. I indeed ask God to replenish you in providing more gospel programs for the people who live in the remote regions. Well, would you pray with us that more Christians like this pastor will have a heart to share the gospel with unreached people, especially in South Asia? Now, as you might guess, the World Prayer Team prays for needs like this every day. You can join us by signing up for our daily email at ttb.org forward slash pray. Now, let's commit our time to God's word and prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace in bringing salvation to lost souls. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for keeping us in your grace. And we pray now, Lord, that your word would go out with great power and zeal. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Dr. J. Vernon McGee will lead us in our study of 1 Corinthians 5 as we travel through the Bible. Now, friends, we've come to another division. It's not one of the two major divisions of the epistle, but actually it's a very important division, and it's concerning the conditions in the Corinthian church. And now we have here concerning scandals in the Corinthian church. That's beginning here at chapter 5, and it goes through chapter 6. Now, here it has to do with impurity. And in the next chapter, chapter 6, it has to do with lawsuits among members. Now, these are very practical questions and problems because, very frankly, these are the questions that come up today. And these are the questions that are asked today. And the church in Corinth and the present-day church are very similar, which means that we are living in a day of carnality, even as far as the church 
is concerned. Now, this chapter is quite a remarkable chapter, by the way. Here we have this statement made. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, this is the case that was up before this church, and this is not gossip. The word commonly here should be translated and could be very easily. It is reported actually and factually. This is not something that was just a rumor going around. This was common knowledge. It is reported actually and factually that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, verse 2, he says, and ye are puffed up, are you inflated, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, that's very strong language, you say, and it certainly is. And it's dealing with a very grievous sin. Now, actually, what was happening in the Corinthian church, they were compromising with this evil, and they were compromising in a very definite way. Now, there's certain things that we need to recognize here and certain things that they should deal with. Remember, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he'll not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, this is a case of compromise with this evil. John Morley said compromise is the most immoral word in the English language. And I surely would agree to that. The church in Corinth compromised themselves by compromising this evil. Now, there are certain things that need to be said about it. There was no need of proof. It was acknowledged. It was not a false rumor. It was not gossip. It was not hearsay. That is something that was established. And Paul would never have brought it up if it had been just a rumor. And it was not a questionable sin. It was a glaring sin that was actually recognized by the world outside as being sin. It was incest. Now, there are certain sins that are questionable today. And I don't think they should be brought out in the open and dealt with in the church at all. Let me give an illustration of this. A lady was converted in the church that I served, and she called me one day about three months after her conversion, and she was very discouraged. She says, I'm very disappointed. I'm very discouraged. She said, I've been a chain smoker. I've wanted to give up cigarettes. I've tried it. Three months, I've failed. I've now come to the place I hate them, and I hate myself for doing. What should I do? Well, I made several suggestions. 
Christians. I said, look, it's a questionable sin, and it's one that you hate and you want to give it up, and I don't blame you. Your testimony's involved. Now, I want to say this to you. Continue to pray, and she told me about personal friends we're praying for. Ask them to continue to pray for you, and I'll pray for you. And I know this, God's going to give you the victory over this because you want it. And he's going to give you the victory. That's the first thing to do. And second thing, don't be discouraged. And the third thing, please don't tell it to the dear saints in the church. Because if you do, they'll crucify you. They will absolutely skin you alive and hang up your skin because today they consider it the worst sin in the world. Now I said, that's the way I think I'd handle it. In about another three months, she came in the church, and I could even look at her and tell something that happened. And afterwards, she couldn't wait to get down to tell me. She said, you know, from that day I talked to you down to the present, I haven't smoked a wand. God's given me deliverance. Well, now that was fine. The questionable things, and I'm not sitting in judgment on anyone that's smoking. That's your business. It's not mine. I can assure you, I consider many things questionable sins today, and no question of immorality connected with it. And therefore, it should be handled differently. But this was not a questionable sin. This was something that even the Gentiles outside wouldn't even mention. It was such a horrible sin. And therefore, we're not dealing with a questionable. We're not saying whether this is right or wrong. I don't care what this present day says that this living together without being married is sin in God's sight. And you can't look at it any other way than that. That is, as far as the Word of God is concerned, there's certain things that are questionable sins, but there's certain things that are not. This was not, as far as the Word of God is concerned. The third thing, the church did not need to establish the act as sin, nor to prove it. They didn't need to do that. And the fourth thing, the church tolerated and they condoned it by doing nothing. They compromised. And that is the worst thing to do. And you can put it down that a pure church is a powerful church. An impure church is a paralyzed church. And you can look around you today and see whether that's true or not. Now, will you notice here, this was it. And Paul says, this thing must be dealt with. Now, listen to him. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. This was a man living in adultery with his father's wife. Apparently, his father had married again. He was living with her. Gentiles didn't do that in that day. Gentiles do it today, but they didn't then. Uh, of course, we're more civilized today. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about the fact that Paul is saying actually that you should meet together, and if this brother won't forsake this sin, then you should deliver him over to Satan. Now, that is a tremendous thing. Somebody says, you mean that? I didn't say it. Paul said it, friends, and he apparently meant it. 
And that's something the Word of God teaches. Did you know that Job was delivered over to Satan? Satan came to the Lord and said, I can't touch that man. You tell me how good he is, but I can't touch him. You just let me get to him. I'd show you whether he was really true to you or not, whether he really loved you or not. And the Lord says, I'll let you get to him. And Satan got to him. And that's a glorious comfort and thought today is that Satan's not going to touch a child of God unless God permits it. And if he permits it, it's for a reason. And then you remember that the Lord Jesus said to Peter that Satan, he desires you, and we're turning you over to him. And Simon Peter was turned over. Why, that man to deny his Lord that night, that was a dastardly deed. He's as bad as Judas Iscariot. But you see, he came back. He hated himself, and he hated the deed that he had done. And he was delivered to Satan. And it made the kind of a man that could preach a sermon on the day of Pentecost. And then you remember Paul says something quite interesting to Timothy in 1 Timothy, first chapter, verse 20. He says, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, here were two professing Christians, and they were blaspheming. Paul says, I've delivered them over to Satan. And may I say to you today, and I recognize the danger of saying this because there is a danger of our feelings, our emotions getting involved, and there's always a danger of fanaticism that some people are inclined to go into. But I believe that today that there are certain men, certain women, that are hurting the cause of Christ, maybe in your church. I think that you have a right to pray God, to deliver them into the hands of Satan, that they might be dealt with so that they don't hurt and harm the body of Christ. Now, I've prayed that the Lord will deliver a certain man over to Satan. Let him work them over. He'll give them a good workout. And that'll either bring them to God or reveal whether they're genuine or not. I have my doubts whether they're genuine or not. And I want them to if they are Christians and profess to be one, I want them to come out clear-cut and come out clean for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we have a right to pray that prayer. You say, this is strong medicine. May I say to you, it's a very strong medicine. And for carnal Christians, believe me, this was extremely strong medicine. Paul says, I'm not there in body, but I'm there in spirit, and this is the way I'm voting. I vote and I pray that this fellow may be delivered into the hands of Satan. Now, will you notice what Paul says? Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth a whole lump. And do you know what the church in Corinth was doing? At the same time they were shutting their eyes to this, compromising by their very silence, not dealing with the sin that's in their own congregation. You know what they were doing? They were bragging about their missionaries. (laughs) Oh, they sent out missionaries. And they were boasting of the fact that they were true to the Bible. What hypocrites. And they were boasting of the fact that they were winning souls for Christ. Oh, that covers a multitude of sins for some folk today. Oh, my friend, may I say to you, they were glorying, and Paul says, your glorying is not good. Know ye that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And the leaven, my friend, is never the gospel. 
It's always the principle of evil, as it is here and everywhere else. He says, verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. You get rid of the evil. Because what does leaven do really to bread? You put it in dough. My mother used to put it in dough, and she'd put the biscuits and the rolls on the back of the stove, old wood cook stove. And then they'd start puffing up. And when they got up a certain height, she pushed them in the oven in a hurry. Why? Because she had to stop that. Because if that leavening process had gone on, they'd go out the ceiling, and they'd be corrupt. They'd be rotten. And if you don't deal with evil in the church, my friend, the thing will blow up one of these days and you destroy the effectiveness of the church. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as you're unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, he sacrificed for us. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread followed that. And here they were putting leaven in. That is evil. And they were those who talked about the death of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, now, he says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, sincerity never saved anyone. But if you are a child of God, you will be sincere. And the world today needs sincerity among believers and needs truth among believers. Paul says, let's have sincerity and truth in the church in Corinth. You see, they were in the midst of gross immorality, and they thought they could get by with this. And they were very insincere as they pretended that everything was all right. And they were pretending they were telling the truth, and they were not telling the truth. Listen to him. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, and that city was filled with them, was given over to gross immorality. He says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that's called a brother be a fornicator, a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one, no, not to eat. Now, Paul said, you permitted this man to come in to your fellowship. And you eat with him. You pat him on the back. You accept him as one of your own. And he's living in sin. Now you condemn that when it's outside of the church. And Paul said, I've condemned it outside of the church. And this city of Corinth given over to immorality. A thousand priestesses up there on Acrocorinthus at the temple of Venus or Aphrodite. And they were nothing in the world but harlots. That's all in the world. They were prostitutes. And that city was given over to it. And this was done in the name of religion. Now, the church in Corinth thought they could drop down to the level of the world. Now, does the church think that it can drop down to the new morality today? Does the church think it can get by with it? The church today, my friend, has lost its power. And the church of God today, and I'm speaking now in most places, I thank God for the wonderful churches that are left, and they're standing out like beacon lights across this land. Bible churches that are standing for the Word. Most today are compromising and shutting their eyes and letting the world come in today. And the church has lost its power. An impure church is a paralyzed church. A pure church 
is a powerful church. And that's true for the individual also. Now, will you listen to Paul here again? He says, now he's in your midst and he's a brother. And you're just acting as if nothing happened. And he's speaking not only of a fornicator. He says, this ought to apply to the covetous too. What about the deacon that may have sticky fingers? That's got his hand on a lot of money. And the idolatry. And the one that's fooling with other religions. And I heard of a man that walked out of a church the other day. He was a leading officer in the church and joined a cult. I tell you, when you start seeing the little infection in your church, you better deal with it, friends, or it's going to corrupt and wreck your church because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And Paul says, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. Paul says, I'm not judging people on the outside. It's not my business. But I am those inside the church. But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now the question arises, how did things work out? Well, if you would turn over to 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, fourth verse, you'll find out that the church dealt with this. And when it does, everything works out. Verse 4, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrariwise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. This man came in deep repentance when Paul put it down on the line. And I think today that we need a great deal of courage, not compromise in the church, but courage that points this thing out and says, this is sin. And I think when it is, then the guilty fellows say, well, like David did, I'm the one that's guilty. I'm the one that did it. And by the way, this all was handled nicely by the Corinthian church. Why? Because Paul had the courage to write this kind of a letter. And you find him saying over in the seventh chapter, verse 12, wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for this cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Paul says, I did this for the welfare of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, today, this flimsy, hypocritical attitude of, well, we don't want to air this. We don't want to cause trouble. We just want to sweep it under the rug. My friend, God can't bless it. God doesn't bless it. And if God did bless it, God would be a liar. And did you know something? God is no liar. He will judge you. What a tremendous lesson this is. We go on from there next time to the next chapter. He's going to talk about lawsuits among members. This is very practical, is it not? Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Yes, it is practical very practical. What's even more practical and current is that God sees every injustice and every dishonest intention. God sees. This was true in Paul's day, and God's commitment to truth continues in churches today. So pray for godly people like the Apostle Paul, who are willing to stand up for God's truth and then lead others in repentance. 
If you'd like Dr. McGee's notes and outlines for 1 Corinthians, you can download your free copy of Briefing the Bible at ttb.org forward slash briefing the Bible or call 1-800-652-4253 to get an abridged paperback copy. Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE, ttb.org, or email us at biblebus at ttb.org. And when you're in touch, tell us how you listen to Through the Bible. This information helps us make important ministry decisions and then also to be good stewards of the resources that God provides to take his whole word to the whole world. So just let us know if you'd like to listen online or by app or Alexa, your favorite radio station, however you hop aboard the Bible bus, we want to know. Oh, and while we're talking about all the ways to listen, one that we don't mention very often is our partnership with Version. So if you want to read and listen to fresh, dynamic summaries of our daily studies and share them with a friend, you'll find them all on YouVersionsBible.com app. It's the same great content that you've come to love from Dr. McGee in a new and engaging format. So check them out today when you visit ttb.org forward slash YouVersion. Next time on Through the Bible, we dive into some sticky questions like... What should you do if someone wants to sue you? Well, I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here riding the Bible bus with you. Hey, I'll save you a seat, too. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.